0: Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to the Book Collector podcast. What follows is the obituary of William Daly, read by Victoria Daly and published in the Book Collector for spring 2018. William B. Daly, born Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, June 11, 1945, died Los Angeles, California, December 15, 2017. William Daly, born in the suburbs of Philadelphia and raised in the southern Indiana city of Evansville, seemed always to have possessed an air of the literary bohemian. His laid-back nature, at once pensive and romantic, was evident from his earliest years. During his boyhood, he preferred reading and daydreaming to competitive sports, which he found unpleasantly vulgar. In later years, he found politics equally crass. It was through books that Bill found pleasure and inspiration. His sister, who had married and moved to France in the 1960s, recalls that when Bill came to visit her circa 1967, true to his quixotic essence, He arrived with a valise fashioned from a 1940s singer-sewing machine case that he had outfitted as a gentleman's portable traveling library filled with many books and very few articles of clothing. A friend who did not know that one of Bill's favorite literary legends was that of Gerard de Nerval taking his pet lobster for a walk in Paris described Bill as having an eccentric streak and imagined him being perfectly at ease walking down the street in a natty 1920s dressing gown while reading a book. After finishing his college education at the University of Evansville, Bill arrived in Southern California in 1969, stumbling into a job that would lead to his lifelong career in antiquarian books. Having been dismissed from his first post-college job teaching art at a private boys' school near Santa Barbara, he had permitted his students to remove their ties in the hot and humid environment of Mexico while on a school trip. Bill arrived in Los Angeles looking for an artistic, literary future. He found it almost immediately when he walked into Zeitlin and Verbrugge, the landmark rare bookshop on La Cienega Boulevard, where he was hired on the spot as the assistant to Jake Zaitlin's right-hand man, Michael Thompson. Zaitlin, a Texan whose illustrious career had been launched 40 years earlier in Los Angeles, and Thompson, another Texas transplant, saw something promising in the dreamy, long-haired young man from the Midwest. Among Bill's first duties was the task of quoting the A.B., which meant that he had to read through the A.B. Bookman's Weekly and match up any of the books wanted to those in Zaitland's inventory. Although tedious, it was a good way for a young bookseller to learn the trade. His other main job was to man the front desk, greeting visitors and customers as they entered the Red Barn, as the shop was known. This is how I met Bill. In 1972, having a few minutes to spare before an appointment nearby, I walked into the shop and was greeted by a very bookish, yet rakish, young man. We chatted, and Bill asked for my name and number for the mailing list. He soon called. We went on a date and discovered that we shared an astounding number of uncommon interests, from vegetarianism, astrology, Buddhism, and Baudelaire, to vintage clothing, hot springs, and the old restaurants of Los Angeles. Above all, we shared a joie de livre. Soon thereafter, when a position as the assistant in the art gallery at Zaitland's became available, I applied and got the job, thereby beginning my own career as a book and print seller. We married at the end of 1973 when I left my job at Jake's, and in 1974, I began to deal privately as Victoria Kylas Daly, Fine Prints. Bill continued to work for Jake for a few more years, and when he left in 1975, he began his business as William Daly, Antiquarian Books. By 1977, we joined forces and founded William and Victoria Daly, Antiquarian Books and Fine Prints. We had acquired a small stock of books from having spent every Monday, our day off, scouting for books all over Los Angeles, which was then a great town for rare books. Peggy Christian was next door to Zaitlin. Dawson's was on Larchmont. Heritage was in Hollywood. Bennett and Marshall and Charlie Saltzman were on Melrose. Maxwell Hunley and Harry Levinson were in Beverly Hills. There were numerous shops on Westwood Boulevard, and used bookshops were all over the city, and of course, Acres of Books was in Long Beach. We also devoured dealer and auction catalogs, ordering and bidding on as many books as we could afford. After a few years dealing privately, we took the plunge and rented our first shop, a small structure on the roof of an Art Deco building on Beverly Boulevard, and a few years after that, we moved into another Art Deco building, one we had long admired, at 8216 Melrose Avenue. In both shops, we combined our love of books with that of art, keeping wall space for changing exhibitions of prints and drawings. Bill once wrote, Write about what you don't know about, so that you will know about it. From the beginning, we issued catalogs in areas we found interesting and that we wanted to know more about. And in the 1970s, we published, among others, emblem books, first and early English translations of foreign authors, Japanism, and English caricature. In 1980, we issued the first rare book catalog on the history of psychoactive drugs, Fantastica, rare and important psychoactive drug literature, 1700 to the present. This last interest led Bill to co-found the Fitzhugh Ludlow Memorial Library, a large collection of books on the history of mind-altering drugs, which is now at Harvard. Other significant catalogs of the 1980s included chemical printing, the invention and development of lithography, a collection of books and letters by Johnson, Boswell, and Mrs. Piazzi, Anima, old and interesting books by and about women, Latin Americana, and a second drug catalog, Altered States. These catalogs not only let us concentrate on subjects of interest, they were an opportunity to use our growing skills as typographers and designers. We designed each cover and title page to complement the contents, and we paid careful attention to every detail. We were devoted to books, and apart from buying and selling them, we knew that we wanted to publish books printed by our own hands. Bill had acquired a small hand press and a few fonts of type, and we began by designing calling and business cards for ourselves, but with fanciful statements and imaginary professions. Bill made a calling card that read, William Daly, Not at Home. I had one that read, Victoria Daly, Balneologist. We spent most of our time, when not at the shop, thinking up various fanciful things to print, and we progressed to the printing of books. Bill had come up with an unusual name for our press, the Press of the Pegacycle Lady, a reflection of his fascination with the feminine and the mechanical. We were able to acquire the old Chandler and Price printing press used by the Untied Press in the 1940s, and we spent many days visiting the old type houses of Los Angeles in search of unusual typefaces and ornaments. We also bought a proof press, and converted our garage into a printing studio. Bill did most of the press work. I set most of the type. Between 1972 and 1992, we printed 23 books by such authors as Mallarmé, D. H. Lawrence, the Marquis de Sade, Roger Bacon, Edward Rodidi, Jules Barbie Doravie, Annie Cobden-Sanderson, and Pablo Neruda. One of the most satisfying projects Bill and I undertook was with our friend, Ricky Jay, the celebrated sleight-of-hand artist, historian, and collector of magic and the history of unusual entertainment. Ricky had the idea to issue a journal with each issue devoted to a particular person or subject in his vast repository of astounding facts about performances past and we agreed to work with him as the publisher and distributor of Jay's Journal of Anomalies. We had well-known letterpress printer Patrick Ray print the journal, and we tipped in the color plates by hand. Between 1995 and 1998, 16 issues were published. When we began, we thought that if by some miracle we could get 100 subscribers, the journal could be considered a success, and we'd be able to keep going with it. To our delight, and ultimately dismay, we got many more than that, and by 1998, when we had over 500 subscribers, we decided to end the venture. We could no longer keep up with the demand. What had begun as a small project had turned into a full-time one, and none of us was prepared for it. As a bookman, Bill's interests were wide-ranging, and he had a good memory for issue points covering many fields. He could discuss the color-printing techniques of Gautier Dagoti, catalog the works of Kerscher, collate an incunable, recognize true first editions, and remember obscure authors' pseudonyms. He loved recondite, odd, metaphysical, artistic, and elegant books. Yes, he could buy and sell modern first editions, but his passion was for books from earlier centuries. For a time, he fancied himself an alchemist, and based on his knowledge of alchemical literature, he partnered with a modern-day wizard in producing an elixir of gold. Although the wizard turned out to be a wheedler, Bill believed in the ethereal powers of the elixir, drinking several drops every day for many months. In addition to the alchemists, we both love Baudelaire and the Decadents, and once in Paris... A dealer showed us an inscribed copy of Les Fleurs du Mal. I was dumbstruck, but Bill turned pale and nearly fainted. We had to excuse ourselves and repair to a nearby café for reviving doses of caffeine and sugar in the forms of espresso and tartatin. Bill was a coffee devotee, calling it the anxious herb, and although he suffered from long-term insomnia, he never gave up his favorite brew, and swore that it wasn't the caffeine that kept him awake, it was his restless mind. He was also a good artist, and the ideas that kept him awake he turned into witty drawings, including diagrams of the nature of reality, gravity, and consciousness. Inspired by 18th and 19th century sources, he also imagined titles of books he might write during his sleepless hours, such as, observations made upon a journey around the house, and primarily from the kitchen, by the owner of his favorite cup. He also came up with a list of stock answers to be printed and posted around the shop. Among them, yes, I've read all these books. Forty-five minutes at 350 degrees makes a rare book. And my favorite, no browsing. Browsers will be prosecuted. During the early 1980s, as our business grew, we were able to afford staff, and in need of an experienced cataloger, we employed our good friend and fellow bookseller, John Wendell, who, after a difficult divorce and an ill-timed publishing venture, fled San Francisco, arriving in Los Angeles with not much more than the clothes on his back. For nearly a decade, John worked in the shop, except for the months he spent walking across the country on the Great Peace March and his time in India becoming a Buddhist monk. When he returned from India in his maroon and saffron robes, we were ecstatic to have him back, and we must have been the only rare bookshop in the Western world where an ordained Buddhist monk greeted customers with a tony British accent. But, as the Buddhists remind us, nothing is permanent except change and by 1990 john had shed his robes remarried and returned to the bay area and bill and i had separated remaining close friends we continued to run the bookshop together until 1997 when it became daily rare books bill whose fascination with hot springs had never waned found an old motel in desert hot springs near palm springs and decided to buy and renovate it in 2003. The bookseller, printer, and publisher added Innkeeper to his list of vocations. In conjunction with buying the inn, he began to collect books on the desert and became an expert in the lore and literature of the Mojave. Bill had also collected books on vegetarianism and ultimately donated the collection to Indiana University. But he really wasn't a collector at heart. He was a dealer. He enjoyed the process of finding, buying, cataloging, and selling books, and was always eager to discover fresh material. Ever the optimist, he felt that no matter what he bought, a customer would eventually appear. He was usually right, and his patience and quiet determination served him well. He also became a Buddhist, going on meditation retreats at least twice a year and studying locally with various Buddhist teachers. But Bill was no ascetic, and although he had given up psychedelic drugs in the 1970s, he savored cocktails and wine, and he loved a party, finding that nearly everyone he met had something interesting to impart. After he closed the bookshop in 2007, he continued to sell books from his home, and although he spent much of his time in the desert, He realized that he could not give up bookselling after nearly 50 years in the trade. He still enjoyed the bustle of a book fair, where not only could he buy and sell books, but also he could meet new friends and converse with old ones. Always literary, never losing his bohemian air, and with his conviviality and ready laugh, Bill attracted a wide circle of friends. His sudden, accidental death has been incomprehensible to all who knew him, Difficult as it is to accept his loss, we take comfort in our vivid and loving memories of this unusual man.